I want to invite you tonight to turn in your Bibles to the 19th chapter of the book of Matthew and mark that chapter and then you might want to flip over to the 18th chapter of the book of Luke. And we'll go there in just a moment. I want to begin by, first of all, saying thank you to the elders for the invitation to be here. Um, Mark mentioned the time that I spent uh, here. I think um, my daughters, who are now 25 and 20, 20, no, 24 and 22, both are married. They were little girls when I came to Oakman to coach football and uh, thought I would be here a couple of years and be somewhere else. And Fifteen years later, I was still at Oakman and uh, left there to uh, take an administrative job over in Marion County. And, and uh, I'm at Winfield, as he said, elementary school now. was blessed to uh, preach at the Blackwater Macedonia congregation for seven, seven and a half years. And uh, just have fond, fond memories. My girls, uh, they grew up here uh, in this area. And so that's what they know. And my son, who's uh, 15, is with me tonight. He doesn't remember near as much. But uh, fond memories here. And he asked me, coming over here tonight, he said, do you miss it? And I said, yes, I do. I I do. I miss, uh, I really miss the uh, church in Walker County, uh, the fellowship I've been in different places, and I have to say, the church in, in Walker County in the time that I was here uh, is very strong, and I hope it continues to be that way, and um, it was a blessing for us to be here. Luke chapter 18, Jesus is asked a question, and the text that I was given tonight is in verse 19. And in response to that question, Jesus said to a young man who had come to him, Why callest thou me good? For there is only one who is good, and that is God. Now, Mark said that I could kind of go in whatever direction I chose, but as I thought about that text, really to understand... What Jesus was saying here, we've got to understand the context of what's taking place here. And there are three things that I want to do in the time that we have tonight. Number one, I want to look at what happened. Secondly, I want to look at what was said. And then thirdly, I want to finish by looking at, or at least emphasizing, one major lesson from what we look at. Now, we'll, we'll mention several other lessons that we learn during the process, but I want to wind up by focusing on one thing in general. Now, we know from the text of Matthew, Mark, and Luke that this man was a ruler, and we learned that he was rich, had great possessions, and he was young, according to Mark's account. And this man came to Jesus. Now Mark tells us in Mark chapter 10 that he came running to Jesus and he kneeled down before him. 
Now, one thing that tells me is that this young ruler knew, at least to some extent, that there was something special about Jesus. Now, I don't think that he knew, and I'll demonstrate that, I hope, as we move along. I don't think that he knew to what extent, but he knew that Jesus was not an ordinary teacher. He knew that there was something about him that was different than other rabbis, than other teachers. But I want you to notice something here. He came to Jesus, he came running and he kneeled. Now what that tells me is three things. Number one, he came to the right person. He came to Jesus. He didn't come to some political leader. He didn't come to some famous athlete. He didn't come to some movie star. He didn't come or go, whatever, however you want to phrase it. He didn't go to some powerful businessman. And the reason he didn't do any of those things is his question had to do with salvation. And Jesus could have talked to him about all of the things that any man could imagine and do it wonderfully, but he came to Jesus with a specific question. He came to the right person. I am concerned in 2019 at where people are going to try to get the answers that they have to life in general. It's either Oprah or Dr. Phil, or as I said, some great athlete or movie star. And I'm not saying that any of those folks don't have something to offer. Sometimes I think it's very little, but they may have something to offer. But I'll tell you this, when it comes to salvation, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who has the answers. It's Jesus and only Jesus that can offer what we need. So number one, He came to the right person. Number two, He came in the right way. He came running, which at least to me demonstrates urgency, demonstrates maybe enthusiasm, eagerness, but we're also told that he kneeled down before him, which to me, again, is an indication that he thought Jesus was something special. But he demonstrated tremendous reverence for the one that he came to. So he came with enthusiasm and he came with reference, uh, reverence. And I'll tell you, I cringe at the way so many people, and sometimes even Christians, use the name of our Lord in such a flippant fashion. So many people use our Lord's name as a pejorative and an exclamation point at the end of a sentence that is not spiritual at all and has really nothing whatsoever to do with anything spiritual or holy or righteous. 
And the Lord's name to many has just become a slang word. And I don't know about you, but that, that bothers me. It bothers me tremendously. This rich young ruler came to the right person. He came in the right way. And at least to some extent, he came with the right question. Now, I said to some extent because, as we'll see in just a few moments, there was something wrong with his question. But behind the question, there was a desire for information as it pertained to salvation. I love true crime stories. I think if I came back in another life, I I might want to be a detective. I like to watch 48 Hours. I like to watch uh, my family. They get on me sometimes. They 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 think I've got a really dark side to me. But I, that stuff interests me, and and figuring out some of those things interests me. And I was watching a documentary late, uh, just a, I think last week, and it was on. Famous mobsters and drug kingpins. And I'll tell you, I, I, I marvel, not in a good way, at the brutality and the willingness on the part of, of so many to, to be violent and to take a life. But I was watching this documentary, and it was on two men... One by the name of Nicky Barnes and one by the name, I believe it's Fred Lucas. And these two, these two men were drug kingpins in Harlem in New York City back in the 70s, in the mid-70s. And uh, they ruled the streets. And they had a lot of police officers on their payroll and, and, and they... They would not hesitate to kill someone who got in their way. But they both wound up in prison and then turned state's evidence, federal evidence, and they wound up in witness protection program. And both of them were interviewed, and one of them works... He said basically some kind of regular nine-to-five job today, and, and he's fine with just being out of the limelight and out of all of what he was in years and years ago. The other witness protection program, pushing 80 years old, and he has no remorse whatsoever for anything he did, any life he took, and he said... In a very arrogant way, he said, I had all the power. He said, I had all the prestige. I had all the money. I had all the cars, all the houses, all the women that any man could ever want. He said, what more could you have that I didn't have? And I thought as I sat there listening to him with the attitude and the arrogance that he had, I thought to myself, Sir, you don't have salvation. 
And I thought, he had no spiritual desire to know anything about it. Well, you see, this rich young ruler, he came to the right person. He came in the right way. And he, to a, to a great extent, had the right question. I've told my son who loves athletics, and I love athletics. My dad loved athletics, and I grew up, I didn't, I didn't grow up learning a lot of things I wished I had learned, how to fix. My wife does a better job of fixing things around the house than I do. I wished I'd learned some of those things, and I try sometimes, but I usually make it worse than what it was when I start with it. I played football, baseball, basketball, any sport I could play. My son is the same way, and I ask him, and others will ask him, what's your favorite sport? Whatever sport's in season. Whatever I'm playing right now is my favorite. I went to Birmingham today to pick him up from the football team. Is that a, they were having a football camp this week, and um, they were off in Birmingham, and I went to get him so he could be at Bible study tonight. But I've told him time and time and time again, Son, if you were to one day be in the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame, one day be in the College Hall of Fame, one day be in Cooperstown or, or the NFL, whatever, and you die lost, it doesn't matter whatsoever. And Jesus said in Mark chapter 8 and verse 36, What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? A hundred years from now, he's not going to care about how good of an athlete he was. He wants to be a great athlete. I want him to be a good athlete. But I want him to go to heaven more than I want that. And as a father, that's tough to always demonstrate because I push him and I put pressure on him and I want him to excel, but I have to remember, and I'm not patting anybody on the back, I'm just saying tonight, and he's always known, he was going to be in Bible study and he's going to be at worship and he's not going to be on the ball field somewhere. And... This young man, this rich young ruler, he had a desire for salvation. But now I want you to look at with me what was said. But I want us to think about this before I do. What ultimately was done? Well, he came to Jesus and he had a bunch of questions for Jesus and Jesus responded to him. And the text tells us that he went away sad, sorrowful, grieved. Yet he came to Jesus with energy, enthusiasm. He came to Jesus with urgency, but he went away sad and sorrowful. Why? Did Jesus not say in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest in your souls. He came to Jesus looking for rest, 
Why did he not leave with that rest and yet he left in a totally different condition? What happened between him coming to Jesus and him leaving tells the story. The dash in between, I know you've heard that. Mark's probably mentioned that before. Other preachers have probably mentioned that before. The dash. You go out to any cemetery, you read the the tombstone, the headstone, and on that headstone is the date of birth, the date of death, and the dash in between. And you see the date of birth and death Matters to some extent, but the dash in between is what really matters. And with this young ruler, what was in between is what really mattered. Well, what was said? He came to Jesus and he said, Good Master, what good thing shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? Now, he said, Good Master. Again, acknowledging something special about Jesus. But the Jews did not normally refer to their rabbis as good. They just didn't do that. Yet he referred to Jesus as good. And he said, what good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now notice, before we look at that part, what Jesus said to him. As Jesus oftentimes did, when he was posed with a question, he would come back with a question. And he said to this rich young ruler, why do you call me good? He said, there's only one who is good, and that's God. Why do you call me good? What is he trying to do with this rich young ruler? He's trying to get him to think about the purpose that He's come to Him for, which has to do with salvation. And He wants Him to understand this point. You call me good, but only God is good, so are you willing to say I'm God? Because if you're willing to say I'm God, then are you willing to submit to me totally and completely and wholly and accept what it is I say and tell you. Well, sadly he wasn't. We'll talk more about that, but why call you me good? But notice this, he then asked, what good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now I stated earlier, The question about salvation is a great question. But notice what he said, what good thing? As if there was one thing that he could do and he could check it off on a list and say, now I have done this thing and now you have to give me, I've earned, I've merited my salvation. You see, this rich young ruler had a false premise 
about salvation and about what's involved in salvation. And he was trying to make it about doing something, and I want you to understand, and and we'll touch on this in a moment. Jesus was not trying to tell him that obeying commands is not important. Outward doing is not important. That's not what Jesus was getting at. But he said, what good thing shall I do? I can be finished with this, and this salvation thing can be wrapped up with a bow on it once I do this. And I'm afraid sometimes a lot of us think that way. Well, Jesus said to him, Keep the commandments. Now, obviously, Jesus telling him to keep the commandments is evidence that Jesus was not saying that following commandments and obedience is not important. That it's not vital to salvation. Jesus himself said in John 14, 15, If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. The Hebrew writer said in chapter 5, 8 and 9, Though he were a son, yet learned the obedience through the things that he suffered. Being then made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that what? Obey him. John said in 1 John 3, 22, Whatsoever things you ask, you shall receive. Why? Because you keep his commandments and do those things that are right in his sight. But here's what Jesus wanted him to understand. Salvation doesn't involve just checking off commands on a list that you do outwardly irregardless of what your inner attitude of heart is. You see, I can have a sincere heart and attitude and not follow the commands of God. But you see, if I have the right heart and attitude, you don't have to prod me to follow the commands of God. Because I want to be pleasing to my Lord. Well, then notice that he came back with another question. He said, which... You see, he's still about trying to reduce it down to a checklist. He's still about trying to reduce it down to a few things that I can do and I can earn my salvation. You know, it reminds me of Luke chapter 18, the early part of Luke chapter 18, when there were two men that came to the temple, the Pharisee and the publican, and the Pharisee, he said, I've done this, this, and this. I've checked off everything on the list. And you know what, Lord, in addition to that, I'm thankful that I'm not like that man over there. And you see, that's the inner attitude of the heart that was lingering somewhat with the rich young ruler. Jesus said, keep the commandments. Which commandments? And then Jesus responded 
and told him these commandments. He said, Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not, shalt not bear false witness, honor thy mother and thy father. Now, Jesus quoted the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth of the Ten Commandments. And then He went back to the fifth, honor thy mother and thy father, and then he went to Leviticus 19 and 18 and added, Love your neighbor as yourself. I want to ask you a question. And let it, let it stew there for just a moment. Why did Jesus not quote all the Ten Commandments? Not because he didn't know them. Not because he was pushed for time. Why didn't he quote all the Ten Commandments? And why did he quote these commandments in the order that he quoted them? I used to wonder that. But now notice, after Jesus said that, the rich young ruler said, I've kept these from my youth up. What lack I yet? He said, I've kept these from my youth up. If that is actually the case, and I don't know if it was or wasn't, but let's assume that it was. If that's actually the case, you're talking about an individual who had some spirituality to him. You're talking about an individual who had a tremendous amount of morality to him. If he had not done any of those things, you're not talking about somebody who have no spiritual fiber in their body. You're not talking about someone who is a highly immoral individual. Why in the world did this young man then think that there was something missing. You know, when you go to Acts chapter 10, and you think about Cornelius, you would be hard-pressed to find a man more spiritual and moral than Cornelius. But you know what else you find about Cornelius? He was lost. And he needed to be saved. Now, Cornelius was spiritual. He was moral. And I don't think his inward attitude of heart was such at all that it was not right. That's evident in the fact that, that he inquired about salvation. And when Peter came to him, he was, he was ready. He gathered his house together. And he was ready. And he obeyed. His inward attitude of heart was not the problem. What was the problem? There were other things outwardly that he had not done. So you see, salvation is not an either or. Salvation is both. It's about keeping the commands of God 
with an inward attitude of heart that's right. That says, I'm not doing this just because I don't want to go to hell. I'm doing this because I love God. And because I love what God did for me. What lack I yet? I'll tell you what, I have, I have preached sermons on that. And I, I've preached some in years past. And I don't think I really, really understood all that was encompassed in that. And I, I don't know if I still do. But I'll tell you what, this young ruler knew that something was missing. And I want you to think about it and think about that man I talked about earlier who said he had all the money, he had all the, the prestige, he had all this and that, everything that a man could want. This rich young ruler, he was young, he was rich and powerful, but you know what? He was empty. He was empty. I know a preacher who told this story one time and it, oh, it resonated in my, my mind. He said he was preaching on a Sunday night and he was in a congregation larger than this congregation, but he said that there was a young man in the congregation who had been a Christian in his teen years he had even spoke, served the Lord's table, led singing. And he said as he got into his latter teenage years, he got involved in things that a Christian ought not be involved in, and he, he became involved in drugs. And one of the men in the congregation was a detective in the narcotics unit. And he knew that they were investigating this young man for selling narcotics. The mother and father, faithful members of the body of Christ in that congregation, heartbroken. Afraid to answer their phone at night because they were afraid of what might be on the other end. Afraid that he has overdosed on drugs, afraid that he has taken his life or someone else's life in a drug deal gone wrong, and just afraid. The preacher said when he got up on Sunday night, he just happened to catch on the very back row a young man who slipped in and sat on the back pew. And he said, the young man I didn't recognize. This young man was now 24 years of age. And his appearance was so different, the preacher didn't recognize him at first. And he said, all throughout the lesson, the young man just could not remain still. And he said, when the invitation song was led... 
He said the young man got up and almost ran down the aisle. And when people recognized who it was, tears began to flow. Parents, elders, people in the church. And he wrote down on a response card two words. 24 years old, he had tried drugs, alcohol, sex, you name it, he had done it. 24 years old, and you know what two words he wrote down? I'm tired. I'm tired. You see, all of those things will never ever give you and me the peace that passeth all understanding that only comes in and through Jesus Christ. Now very quickly, and I'm about to be out of time, I want to wind up with this. Jesus told this rich young ruler, go sell all that you have and give to the poor. Jesus was not saying to you and to me and to Him, in order to go to heaven, you can't have possessions. You can't be wealthy materially. Too many people in the Bible, we can talk about that we're rich outside of spiritual richness. But did you notice that when Jesus quoted those commandments, He did not quote the tenth commandment? You know what that commandment says? Thou shalt not, what? Covet. He said you give. You see, here's the problem. This young man was a getter and not a giver. This young man was a taker and not a getter or not a giver. If you want, and you go back earlier than Matthew 19, the first part of Matthew 19 is on marriage and the home. Then Jesus brings children before Him, and He says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to be as these little children. He's talking about their inward attitude of heart. If you want to have a good marriage, if you want to have a good home, if you want to have a good congregation, you know what's got to happen? We've got to decide to be givers and not takers. We've got to decide to be givers and not getters. For God so loved the world that He what? Gave His only begotten Son. God's a giver. And I'll tell you this, if your life is empty, you start right now being a giver. And I'll tell you this, you'll get more from giving than you ever thought was possible. Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken about, running over. That's what Jesus said.
Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the opportunity that we've had to study together. We thank You for Your Word and for the power and the simplicity of it. Father, help us to be givers so that we can be the kind of husbands and fathers and mothers and wives and elders and preachers and members of Your body that we need to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.